Welcome to the first episode of the third series of the Women in CX podcast, a series dedicated to real talk conversations between women in customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, relive the moments that shaped us, and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of CX subjects. I'll be your host, Claire Musket, and in today's episode, I'll be talking to the CEO of one of the world's biggest insight companies. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest. A graduate from the London School of Economics, our guest has worked in both consumer and business-to-business research for 22 years. Her interest in numbers and human behavior led her into a career in insights, where she now enjoys helping brands interpret people's actions and leveraging that for growth. She's won numerous awards, championed research to help businesses better understand women as customers, and is a leading advocate of flexible working. Please welcome to the show, CX sister, Amy Cashman. Hi, Amy. Hi, Claire. Lovely to be here. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? Very well. Thank you. Very well. Imp- impending holiday in a week's time. Oh, so excited oh. about that. What are you doing? Are you doing? Uh, Devon. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's very much on the green list, I believe. So yeah, yeah all good. I think we're safe to go there. So just to ease us in gently to this Mm. podcast, I thought I'd ask you an easy question. And that is just to tell us a little bit about yourself and your connection with customer experience. Yeah, so um, I run the Insights Division of Cantor in the UK, which um, people may know from legacy brands like Millwood Brown and TNS. Um, so it's, it's those teams now make up the Insights Division. And we span all sorts of different things, including analytics and qualitative work. But we also have a very big CX practice, which is a really important part of what we do. Um, and I I have worked in CX research moons ago, actually, before I even had my family um, and doing a lot of work in particular with retailers, which I loved. But, you know, obviously the CX landscape has moved on enormously since then, Um, you know, and since 2015, Kantar have partnered with Medallia, since 2017, partnered with Qualtrics, and we have really strong global relationships with them now, and that's a very big part of what we do in CX. So I think we're the number one partner for uh, Qualtrics globally and number two for Medallia after Deloitte. So, you know, that's a really big part of our ecosystem, but also as well, CX consulting and offering advice to brands um, around the platform programs that we deliver for them as well. Amazing. Um, so, <laughs> um, so yeah, I recently saw actually in the archives that Kantar has done so much consumer research about women in the past. I just wondered if there's any pieces of research or insights that have really stood out to you over that time. Yeah, I mean, it's, to be fair, it's one of the things I'm proudest about being, in, you know, being a Cantor person, actually, because I feel we we really believe in inclusion and diversity, but we also put our money where our mouth is and invest in thought leadership and things like that, as you, if you talked about. There was a piece of work I was involved with in 2017 called Winning Over Women, where we were looking at the way that female customers are underserved compared to male um, customers in the financial services sector. And as an example there, we we identified a 130 billion pound opportunity for savings and investments companies if they were to just improve women's engagement and confidence with the category. Mm-hmm. So we were able to like put quite a nice hard number on the challenge that exists there for women customers. Um, And another piece we did, which I was really excited about, was um, in 2018, we held um, an exhibition uh, celebrating 100 years of women getting the vote. And what we did was we showed 100 years of advertising to women. Um, We had a 
an exhibition space in Soho and we actually opened it up as a public exhibition as well for people to come along to as well as client events um, and we did a companion piece of research next to that which really helped identify the fundamental difference in self-esteem between men and women um, and we explored the role that brands can play in in supporting uh, or undermining <laughs> that mm. that self-esteem as well so we've done a lot of different pieces of work and and the thing we do now more in the cx i suppose space or ex space is mm. is our ind index which mm. is something that a number of companies use now to assess how they're performing on key ind metrics um and which we use ourselves to try and understand that for for Cantor too just for anyone that doesn't know the acronym, what does IND stand for? Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, uh, inclusion and diversity. Oh. So it's really looking at all the different aspects across a business of how inclusive and diverse it is and what more a business may need to do to, to improve that. So just DNI the other way around. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's a new one on me. I've not heard it phrased that way. And yeah, so just interested to, to pick a little bit more at that. So um, you talked about the reasons why women were being underserved in financial services. Just tell us a little bit more about that. Like what were the characteristics that, that meant women were less confident with financial products? Yeah. So um, what we found was that in in the sense of financial services, women tend to be quite we focused and men tend to be quite me focused. So women will think about the family finances and they will think about other people's financial situations. Men tend to think more about their individual financial position. And, and to, to sort of demonstrate that, we did some very interesting social media analytics work looking at the different types of searches that men and women made in these categories. And you saw men very much... Um, searching for things around individual ISA allowances, individual pension limits, those sorts of more individual products, mm. women more searching for things to do with the family finances and the balancing of the everyday budget. Mm. Um, so there's something there around why that doesn't lead women then to think about their own, say, financial future, their own potentially financial independence, were they to not have a partner in the future. Um, so there's a, there's, a, there's a fundamental difference there. Mm. Um, and then there is just a general difference in confidence and engagement. Mm. Um, and we explored many different reasons about that. But one thing that we certainly did identify was that the way the language that's used to communicate in that category can be quite masculine, particularly in the investment part of the category. Um, the imagery that can be used is very sort of quite, quite male, quite assertive, particularly in that investment space. Um, and so we were exploring the way that women actually didn't feel communicated with um, mm. and, and that people weren't really taking the effort to understand why women are different as customers yeah. in that particular category. So there was quite a number of different things at play. Mm, interesting. And then leading on from that point, you talked about the role that brands can play in either um, upping women's confidence or undermining it. Do you have any more examples of that? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's the classic examples like Dove, you know, mm. which I think everyone would hold up as a, as a real sort of trailblazer in terms of the way they've tried to make their advertising more inclusive in the imagery they use. Um, an example I like more recently actually is Sweaty Betty, who are a, an online and, and pretty upmarket in terms of price point um, fashion, you know, leisure fashion retailer. Yeah, I'm a customer. But, <laughs> I, I'm obsessed, but that's another story <laughs> altogether. Um, but, you know, if I look at what they did, I thought particularly over the pandemic, you know, they really 
uh, lent into their Instagram in terms of things like um, posting workouts every Friday to get different people involved. And they've really changed the types of models they use. They use people who are larger and smaller. They use people who are disabled and able-bodied. Yeah. They use people with all sorts of ethnic backgrounds. Um, different age groups too, I know. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's brands like that you know, because uh, um, that particular category, you know, um, leisure wear was one that was really, you know, often, you know, catwalk models are one thing, but the models that people use for like night leggings, you know, those guys are athletes, they look incredible. And to the average person or average woman, that's just mm-hmm. not attainable. So I think for me, that's a really nice recent example, actually, of that. Yeah, no, I love those examples. So Talking about brands, um, mm. I know that Kantar's done some awesome research and content lately about British brands. Yes. I wanted to just ask you about um, a pillar called Experience Uniquely and the connection that you've made between um, delivering unique experiences and creating brand growth. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so you know, obviously there's a very strong heritage in Cantor around brand. Millwood Brown was at the absolute forefront of brand and advertising research for decades. And we have the Brand Z database. It's a very strong part of what we do. Mm-hmm. And what we'd observed over the last couple of years was that um, the global Brand Z Top 100 was having a declining number of British brands in it um, to the point where last year there were just three, uh, HSBC, wow. Vodafone and Dove. Yeah, exactly. And we were really worried that in the coming years there may even be none Mm. and we're thinking when the UK is such a you know such a center of advertising and marketing knowledge and excellence Mm. um how can this be and we didn't want to sort of sit on the sidelines pontificating about it so we 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 worked with the marketing society to come with this concept of great British brands and as you say experience uniquely is a really critical part of that because we genuinely believe at Cantar you can say what you want about your brand you can promise the earth if you don't make the customer feel that when they're experiencing the brand you know you set up a promise that is just not being fulfilled for the customer so you know that that's something that we feel really strongly about actually the importance of it Mm -hmm. um and there's sort of four areas we think are really critical to deliver that the first is really being able to meet the needs of the customer but but taking the step before that and understanding truly what the needs Mm -hmm. are so that um standing for something unique and different so actually taking a position that's different from others in the category um showing a genuine and authentic care for customers which i think over the pandemic period has become you know even more Mm. of an issue um and then the the final part is really being able to deliver an experience on online digital mobile that is is exceptional and is is not just at the category level is better than the category level is really leading the category Um, and what we, we did with those four areas is we created what we call our Experience Uniquely Index um, mm. for a variety of different brands. And I have to be honest with you, Claire, it's not good to say, but actually being a high performer across all of those things is a rare thing in mm. the UK, sadly. And there's, there's definitely work brand, lots of brands could be doing uh, to improve on, on one or more of those aspects. Um, but when we use that index and correlated it against brand power, we saw there was a really strong correlation. So we know that by focusing into those things and delivering that, better experience you're Mm. serving to drive your brand's power overall Mm. Mm. so thinking about that list that we only had three on what kind of brands were on there at the top (laughs) 
Um, I think um, if I'm talking at the top of my head, I just eat were on there as an example, um, as you know, obviously, again, that have really met needs through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, and really, again, very slick in terms of the online and yeah. the digital. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, there's actually quite a range of different, different brands, not just, you know, the obvious categories. Yeah, I was looking at something the other day it was from Accenture and it was an index of brands that people trust and love. Mm -hmm. And all the big ones were like Amazon and Google, all these big digital companies that have very little physical footprint these days. Um, and yeah, I was just interested to, to see if it laddered up similarly, um, because I, I think one of the things you mentioned there was um, de delivering on your brand promise and setting an expectation from what you say you'll do. And um, brands like Amazon have really changed the game, haven't they, in sticking to a lane and absolutely slaying in it, but oh. changing the expectation for what other brands are going to be able to do in terms of convenience and things like delivery. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the critical point, isn't it, mm. with delivery? I, I remember when I became a new parent, um, there was, you know, particularly the points when you're sleep deprived and you try and prepare to try anything that might get you like two more hours sleep. Now I was looking up all sorts of things on the line and I remember trying to use smaller retailers. Like I was conscious of trying to do that. But then every time I went to Amazon, and it could get me it the next day next and it's day, just yeah. you just think oh gosh we you know um so yeah the the expectation they have reset for uh, all manner of things is quite astonishing really mm -hmm. and, and and yeah i was just reflecting on that point around um proof points of the brand promise i know when i worked at sainsbury's we did a piece of work kind of going that step further from the insights and um, the brand identity had built been built around this saying of live well for less but no one really knew what it meant so mm. when archives and uh, the agency that we work with it actually meant um, Sainsbury's used their ingenuity to help customers live a little better mm. or less and we were able to use that architecture of the brand statement to say well what would that mean as a proof point if it was really true beyond price and promotions and a strap line what would it really mean and we were able to come up with all sorts of experience propositions off the back of that so yeah fascinating to see that reflected in that research that the, the three British brands that got to yeah. be on the list were uh, were actively yeah, demonstrating not just what they say about themselves but the fact that it's true so yeah I'm completely with you on that one so we're going to move into the next little section now and this mm -hmm. is more about you and your career so as the CEO of Kantar UK Insight um, that's amazing and to have reached that seniority at your age is so cool and um, I'm sure a lot of women listening will be in great admiration of your career so I was really interested what's your secret <laughs> how did you get where you are um well th well thanks for the kind words by the way as well first to say um so I think that particularly in my industry, I think one of the things, so in the insights industry, one of the things that's always, always fascinated me is businesses, like how businesses work. How do they make money? How do they be successful? How do they grow? How do they, what kind of cultures do they have? And actually, when I look back over my career, I did spend a period of time on secondment at GlaxoSmithKline, sort of on the client side, but the rest of the time has been agency side. And, the, and I've loved that because you get to work with all sorts of different businesses, all sorts of different categories. Um, and I think in the early part of my career, that like helped differentiate me because sometimes in research, people get quite sucked into the actual methodology, the 
the the data whereas I was always more interested in what did it mean for the business that I was working for and um, and then I think as I've got more senior in the organization then that's helped me understand how I can make my own part of the business more successful and, and contribute to the overall success of Kantar so I think like a fundamental interest in businesses and how they are successful how they make money what their strategies are and how you can get involved in those as well um i do see that i don't think people take enough notice of that sometimes actually i'm trying to give people advice about how they want to progress mm. you know really look for where the energy is in a business look yes. for where's the where's the focus because mm. um, that's a great place to be in terms of moving yourself forward as well um and then i think the other thing if i if i'm honest is i I'm very I'm a pretty calm person it takes quite a lot to to sort of flummox me so I, I I think that's been helpful in my career and and I really do try and treat other people as I would want to be treated I don't I don't particularly have any yes or graces or anything like that I just I, it's important to me that people are treated respectfully um so I you know things like that I think as well help along the way mm-hmm. yeah I totally agree with you I think I reached a point in my career where things turned for the better mm-hmm. when I, I broadened my horizon too so became much more commercial especially about the way I talked about customers customer insights and customer experience because you're totally right if you're not going where the energy is flowing with your initiatives or with your insights or you're not attaching it back to what the bigger driver is um, for CX professionals out there it can be a very frustrating time and <laughs> wholeheartedly agree having that interest and and and, and I think getting as close as possible to different functions within the business that can help you to learn is fundamental to that too so that was really I think (laughs) I think as well you know Claire you make such a good point because frankly to be blunt which business (laughs) no airs and graces you promised us (laughs) which which business is going to say oh no customer experience isn't important I mean every business is going to say customer experience is important but what matters is do you get the return on that investment you know it's a it's the right thing to say of course everyone would say that but it's exactly what you're saying how do you prove that the measures you're taking as a customer experience professional are driving ROI for the business that's actually what matters um, at the end of the day yeah and stakeholders want you to show them how the thing that you're putting forward will impact the key business levers and metrics totally agree but it took me a long time to learn that I think yeah Yeah, no I don't I mean I don't think I came to it on day one either I think it probably is something you know you you start your career don't you you've been in education and you start in a business it's there's other things to learn that you don't realize about just business life generally Mm. um and those sorts of things are one of them yeah yeah I think for, for CX people especially and a lot of when the women I talk to because we find this love that we've got for this thing that we discover is called customer experience, it's quite easy to become um, quite narrow in Mm. our expertise. And uh, we want to continue to grow our careers in a kind of direct upwards trajectory, but staying in customer experience, but actually without taking um, some time, as you said, you know, to move into the client side, your example in FMCG or into different departments or areas, it's difficult to develop the breadth of skills you need in leadership, actually, to be able to um, ac- oh, oh, sorry, accelerate your career forward. Yeah, no, I totally agree. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I've got a little bit of an interesting question here um, mm-hmm. because, again, I'm like fascinated by the career journey that you've had and to get where you are, as I said, at the age that you are is amazing. Um, so were there any particular moments in your career that have shaped you as a leader 
Yeah, I mean, there's a couple that stand out, I think, for me. I think there was um, there was a time in my 20s when I think I was... I was quite an ambitious person in my 20s. Like, I definitely wanted to be more senior and work hard. And and I think I think it was getting a little bit out of balance at one point. And, and I remember, I probably, yeah, I was probably in my late mid to late 20s. As somebody who I respect very much, a senior person in the organisation, said to me, they made an observation. They said, oh, I think you're one of those people who um, live to work rather than work to live. And I just remember being absolutely shocked mm. and just thinking oh my god is that is that the impression I give people you know and and I just um and I really reflected on that a lot and you know, I can literally still remember you know to this day really? many years later that him saying that to me but it was quite a good turning point for me to just take a step back and think well hang on a minute but I have like you know these family and friends that I love and things outside of work you know what impression am I giving and I think since then I've that's that was a helpful point for someone to say that to me mm. and just be like you know what Amy just maybe just chill a little bit um so that that was that was important I think and I think um the second thing that I would talk about is probably when I came back to work so I've got twins and then I've got another child so I've had two maternity leave periods out of work but three children um and when I came back after my third child we felt you know our family was complete and so I was kind of back at work till retirement type thing so you start thinking about things you wouldn't have thought about otherwise and um I was really interested in still progressing my career but when I looked up in the organization the person sort of directly above me um the way they were doing the job I just really couldn't get my head around it they they worked a lot of weekends they were working every holiday they were emailing all the time they were doing all these things that are just not how I feel comfortable working mm. and the way they behaved was quite aggressive and, and things that just don't sit well with me and I remember talking to a, a man who was a mentor of mine at the time about it and I said so I probably you know I don't think I don't think that's for me I need to think what I could maybe do mm. working move sideways or something and he said to me you're just judging the job on the person who's doing it Amy you're not judging the job itself and I really thought about that and I thought god that's right I am he's like how would you do that job like describe to me how you would do that job so I described it to him and he was like well that's how you would do it and and that's been probably actually the piece of advice I've passed on the most to other people um and funnily enough we talked about it on International Women's Day in Kantar mm -hmm. and one of my female colleagues came to me afterwards and she said I don't know if you remember but you said that to me 18 months ago and I got this new senior job and and one of the reasons is because you said that to me and and I thought wow that's that's amazing and I just think it's a brilliant piece of advice for anyone actually um because until we do improve the diversity of what mm. we see at the top of any organization, there's always going to be a case that people have to take that view that this is how I would do the role. It's not how the person who's in it at the moment would do the role. Mm. That's so powerful and great to hear it played back to you for somebody know, who, yeah. who made that step in and, and followed your advice. Yeah, it really made my day. Yeah, I think I, I'm just reflecting on a few things you said there again. I'm mm -hmm. um, thinking about being a very similar you know, graduate into your early 20s, into your mid 20s with this ambition and drive that mm -hmm. does take over your life and you don't realize it. Um, I know for me, I like gave up pretty much everything. I didn't have a relationship the whole time I was in corporate. I didn't go on like holidays. I was that person that you're talking about mm -hmm. who always was like attached to their uh, Blackberry, even if they were on holiday when Blackberries were a thing. I remember uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
yeah and like the pressure I think women feel under to like over deliver and over prove themselves sometimes especially in organizations where that kind of environment exists where the women have to work well as I say as hard as the men but behave in a way similar to men you certainly mentioned like the aggressive kind of behaviors that you look Mm. up and see and I remember thinking a similar thing like what who who in the leadership team would I want to be and there were very few women that I could think I'd want (laughs) to have that life so and 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 they always seem to have to make a choice between things like family time or you know coming back from maternity leave like Sainsbury's were actually pretty good at, at that aspect um of ensuring that women could have those opportunities mm-hmm. and come back to work but like they there were, there were women that I looked at or looked up to and they just looked permanently exhausted mm-hmm. <laughs> and were always still in the office when we used to be in the office all the time so this leads me to my next question which mm-hmm. is around um as the leader of, of your organization now yeah. how have you created or how do you create environments where women can thrive if especially if they want to have children yeah Oh, gosh, I mean, there's lots of things that I think are important on that. Um, And, you know, I I think um, flexible working is critical. So when I came back to work after children, I really do believe that it's only because I was allowed to have flexible working um, that I I stayed working. I I do honestly believe if I'd have been forced to choose then between like either a full time job or being at home I would have chosen being at home because I, I just think on balance that's what would have worked for me so flexible working I think is absolutely critical um I think as well an environment that shows you that they're serious about being uh, about having more senior female leaders and that's something again where I feel Kantar um, and under its previous owner WPP there was plenty of evidence for me as a woman that they wanted me to be more senior and be more you know be progressing so for example Cantor runs a program called Empowering Growth for Women which was to help mentor and develop the next level of leadership in women and and WPP ran a course called Propeller which um, was a fantastic course run across WPP to help you know female progression as well so I think that kind of evidence as well you want to see is all very well for company to talk about it but you need to see them doing it mm-hmm. um and then i and i think and actually it really loops back to some of the things we were just talking about claire but you know i i think it's really important to be clear what your red lines are in an organization i'm i'm very clear there's things i won't miss I, i've never missed one of my children's assemblies i've never missed sports day i've never missed a parents evening you know, I, I just wouldn't won't miss stuff like that. And and I've had occasions where it's clashed with an important meeting and I've explained why. And I and I think this is to your point about, you know, what you see at the top of an organization. I've consciously chosen to explain I'm not at that meeting because I'm at a school assembly. I haven't tried to hide it and say I've got a medical impo- appointment or anything like that, because that's how you get the message that that is OK and that is normal. And that's not always felt comfortable, to be truthful. You know, I've, I've, I've come to that, I would say, over like a period of time. It wasn't something I would have done straight away when I got back from maternity leave. But I hope by doing things like that, it just makes it normal to people. And, and you know what I think is really important to say? It's not just about women, this sort of thing either. I, I remember, exactly, I remember a few, day, a few years ago, we had a very important day in the business and it happened to fall on the same day as my son's birthday and 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 his birthday's in April so I can always have it off because he's he's a it's Easter holiday so I can always have the time off with him and I said I'm really sorry I'm not in this day because of my son's birthday and I got an email from a male colleague saying how much he'd appreciated 
hearing me say that and that he'd been thinking he wouldn't take his daughter's 16th birthday off because he was too busy but now he decided he would mm-hmm. and and again you know you, people need to see it and they need to hear it for it to become normal so I think it's about those characteristics in an organization too not just saying it's okay but demonstrating it's okay I think yeah I think that's definitely been the theme of this podcast hasn't it whether it's a, a brand outward facing to customers yes that's yes brand um it's not just about saying these things or having policies I guess on the internal side about diversity and inclusion or from a customer perspective saying we performatively support things like pride it's about actively seeing leaders within the organization demonstrating the behaviors that reflect what you're saying yeah Um, and as a place to work um, I agree with you it's so powerful and I love the examples you gave and I remember when Chloe came on the podcast she was talking about the example you'd set for her and Mm. how it made her (laughs) being a working mother um, or working parent um, easy for her too so yeah and she's a great example herself (laughs) of somebody you know who's got lots of talent and ambition and balancing a family as well so yeah 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 well it's really great to hear so I really enjoyed talking to you today but I thought I'd just ask one final question and that is um what piece of advice would you give to aspiring leaders from women in CX um I would you know what I would go back to the sort of being authentic point because the, the what you have to remember is that if everybody was always behaving in the way they thought leadership um, positions behaved then nothing ever changes and it all just stays the same so even if it feels a bit scary sometimes just be yourself like be lean into who you are and don't feel you have to change to be successful there's so many skills that um, different types of people and I don't just include women in that people from different ethnic backgrounds who aren't represented well in senior leadership positions either bring all sorts of different skills which are so valuable so that's my main thing I would say actually yeah well this has been a brilliant conversation I've loved how the theme kind of spanned both the customer experience and the employee experience yeah loved hearing um, your fabulous career stories and um, to hear that you know not only did you build your career but you did it in a way that you were able to have the life that you wanted to lead is fabulous fabulously inspirational for all of us um, and yeah, just like to say thank you so much for sharing your insights, especially about get those red lines and knowing what your red lines are. I know for me personally at the moment, my boundaries around work are slipping left, right and centre. Mm. So um, it's been great for me to be part of this conversation too. And some really amazing reminders. So thank you so much, Amy. And, You're very welcome. <laughs> and thank you to Kantar for supporting Women in CX2. Oh, no, we're delighted to do that. Thank you. <laughs> Take care. Bye now. Bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Women in CX podcast with me, Claire Muscat. If you enjoyed the show, please drop us a like, subscribe and leave a review on whichever platform you're listening or watching on. And if you want to know more, please join us at womenincx.community and follow the Women in CX page on LinkedIn. Join us again next week where I'll be talking about the future of retail with a woman who started her own e-commerce business during the dot-com boom, was awarded an MBE for her services to fashion and went on to hold several leadership roles at some of the UK's largest retailers. See you all next week.